everybody. It's good to be seen by you, and thanks for virtually joining us in this way. We're continuing on this series. We're talking about being loved to death and back again. Before we get in it this morning, I want to pray. I want to ask you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for giving us this morning. And we, uh, we ask that you would send your spirit into each of our homes, on our couches or our beds or on our kitchen tables, wherever it is that we're watching, whether this be Sunday morning or Sunday evening, Monday. that your spirit would meet, meet us where we are. We ask that your presence would be here. We ask that we might begin to realize that you love us and have loved us more than we ever could imagine. And so as we unpack this a little bit more, just ask for your spirit to guide. Last week on Easter, we talked about this idea that Jesus loved you to death and back to life again. And we gave this big picture of the story of God and the power of God at work. And this week, we're going to move on a little bit to you and me and us together. 2,000 years later, what does love you to death and back, what does it actually do? What does it actually mean? We know that it's power, but what actually changes because Jesus has loved us to death and back to life? This week, we're going to be going through Romans 8. And so go grab your Bible, uh, open your app, whatever it is. We're going to sit in one chunk of scripture. We could spend months in Romans 8. We're only going to spend this morning. Uh, but we're going to start in Romans 8, 1 and 2. In the NRSV, it reads this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. There is no condemnation. None. Some of you can push pause right now and just sit in this. This is what you need to hear. There is no condemnation. And that sounds great. And sometimes we get real loud about it. And we should when we realize the weight of that. But the question that follows is then why do I still feel it? Why do I still feel condemned? And this is what we're going to talk about today. Paul says real clearly through the spirit of God that there is no condemnation for those who find themselves in Christ Jesus. Yet we feel condemned. Why is it? And we're safe here. And so we're going to ask. Paul writes, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the first question that I really want to ask you to ask yourself is, are you in Christ? It's the people who are in Christ Jesus that receive no condemnation. So you need to know, are you in Christ? And there have been different versions of what this phrase in Christ has meant over time. And so we're going to look at this for a second. Many people have learned that in Christ simply means that you have faith. And so you have faith 
in Christ and you keep mustering up the right amount and the right type of faith. That's what it means to be in Christ. Others, others have said, well, it's action. If you have the right actions and activities, it shows that you are in Christ. Others of us have learned that if you can articulate If you can say the right things in the right ways, that means that you are in Christ. Others have said that if you can evangelize. And let other people know of your, your faith. If you can explain it to someone else and make it contagious so others want what you have, then you know that you are in Christ. Here is the problem with all of these. What happens is when it is about my faith, I find a community that agrees with me, and we put a box around our understanding of faith. And that means we are in. And if your faith differs, well, you've got some work to do. If it's about my actions, then the actions of our church, of our community, is what it means to be in Christ. And if you're different, well, that means there is condemnation for you. But as long as we have our actions and our correct actions, and this is a danger for every church. This is a danger for us, one church. If we live in this thinking that we are in Christ because of our actions, then anyone who isn't reaching to Fourth and Oak the way that we reach into Fourth and Oak, well, they should be condemned. And then we believe that we should not be condemned simply because of our actions. This is not what it means. If you think it's about articulating a certain statement of faith or a certain way that faith plays out or that you can evangelize and share what your faith means, then you are in. See, this is all based on us. This is all based on what you do. This is all based on what I do. And I don't know if you are like me. I think you are. We've hung out a couple times. My feet are unsettled if I am going on my own knowledge or action or behavior or thoughts. If the power of being loved to death and back to life is Jesus, I want my confidence to be in him, not in me, not in what I'm producing, not in what I'm doing. And so this in Christ has to look different. And I want you to stew on this for a minute. We're going to come back. But what does it look like in your life to be in Christ? And are you in Christ? So Paul, Paul goes on. And in verse 2, the same section what we just read, he says, For the law of the, of the spirit of life is Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. I think this is where some of our theology of the law in the Old Testament, of the Ten Commandments, of different things, this is, I think, because we misunderstand it, we start to think that that is a law of death. No, that is God's law for God's people. And he gave it as a gift of freedom. We talked about it last summer, if you were with us. God gave us the Ten Commandments to explain what it looked like to live as free people. To set up a society that was dependent on Him and generous towards one another. But then, then sin came in and twisted it. Sarah Lancaster says this, The written law has been appropriated to serve sin's purposes instead of God's. It was given to serve God's purposes. It was given to guide God's people. And then sin came in and corrupted it like everything else that we talked about last week and twisted up sin came in and twisted up the law which Jesus wrestled free 
And so in verse 3, Paul writes this. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin. So here's this word, flesh, right? The law was weakened by the flesh. And if you're like me, you have often identified flesh with body and spirit with soul. And so you've said body is bad, soul is good, and interpreted it that way. And so when we go through Paul's writings, if you're like me, you've, you've understood it that way. I want to challenge that understanding this morning. When you read the word flesh, what I want to challenge you to understand is that Paul is talking about a life where you are orientated in the world without God. When we are living according to the flesh, we are moving about throughout the world without an understanding of God, without an awareness of God, without a sensitivity to God. And so in this, he, he says that the law was weakened by flesh. It was weakened by this life of being oriented without God. If we're reading the Ten Commandments and other sections of the law without an understanding of God, then it's weakened. We're missing the whole heart of it. And so, of course, we're going to misunderstand and misuse and appropriate. But spirit, when we read spirit, this is a God-centered orientation within the world. Maybe instead of centered, you like the word infused. I don't know if you've been to those fancy hotels that have like the cucumber water or the orange water. or The one I really like has peppers in it, and it's got this like bright spice in it. It's just water that has cucumbers floating in it that change the taste of everything. And this God-infused way of being oriented within the world is what it looks like to live in the spirit. If you don't like infused, maybe soaked, marinated. Where your complete understanding of the world is filtered through this awareness that God is God. He is not other. He is not distant. It is not two things that we're looking at. When we're living by the Spirit, we are living with an awareness and within the presence in a God-centered, infused, and soaked orientation within the world. And so looking at what Paul has written in these verses, in 3 and 4, in that way, it says that God the Father sent his Son in his own in the likeness of sinful flesh to deal with sin. So he, he put on skin in the appearance of flesh, the appearance of a life oriented without God. You see, we believe that you had to live not oriented towards God and then find your way through. And so he came in flesh like you and me, but that flesh does not just mean skin. That flesh does not just mean a skeleton covered with muscles, skin and hair and everything else. What it means is that God sent Jesus with the appearance of one with the same condition that we do, where we appear to live with this orientation towards the world without God, and yet Jesus lived saturated with an awareness of who God was as he walked through this world. You see, Jesus blazed this new trail a trail of the Spirit, where you and I get to find life in the Spirit. 
Paul goes on. We're skipping a few verses. Forgive me for that. But we're going to pick up in verse 9. Where Paul says, but you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. You are not one who is living with this orientation without awareness of God that are just giving the world. So when the world says you should be afraid, you just live afraid. When the world says you live uh, anxious, you just live anxious. You are not that. You are aware and living in the spirit, which means that as you perceive the world and what we're facing, you are doing it infused with the presence of God. And since the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of God does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. The spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through the spirit that dwells in you. There are thousands of things we could say on this. And I hope you take some time this week to sit in this text. But it ends with this idea that even in these temporary bodies, even in these bodies that do decay and do end, we will know life, the kind of life we were intended for. As we began in in Romans 8, 1 and 2, we saw that we were in Christ. Now Christ is in you. There's this beautiful, again, you see the infusion. You see the saturation that's happening here. Let's go back to the question that we began with. If you're in Christ, why is there, why does it feel like there's condemnation? Why are voices still yelling? If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, does it mean that condemning voices won't try? No, it doesn't at all. What it means is that they won't stick. That what they say doesn't last. Even some of the things that they might say might be somewhat true, but they are not the truest thing of you. They might say that you lied when you lied. But that doesn't make you a liar if you're in Christ. Let let me try to paint it this way for you. I want to use your life and my life as an example. Trusting I can do that because, well, you can't tell me otherwise. Let me dig around here, find something. Where'd you go? This is you. You're a little bit nervous because, well, you don't know how I'm going to use you as an example. So this is you and your life. This is me and my life. And you are intended to float above things, to be in them, but to rise above. And voices of condemnation come sometimes. You see, I remember one time I, uh, I used to drive my dad's Jeep. A lot of you had seen it. It was a gray Jeep. It was super old got hit on 2nd Street where I live and somebody ripped the door off when it was parked. But before that, I loved this Jeep. And I remember this one time this person said, uh, they were asking what I was going to do and I said, I'm going to get my oil changed. And they said, why don't you change the oil yourself? And I said, because I'm going to get my oil changed. And there was something in that statement that all it was, was they're wondering why I didn't do it myself. And I know how to change my own oil. I just would rather pay someone else to do it. But I felt condemned by this. 
felt less. I felt like a failure. It wasn't even their words. It was something with it that tried to knock me down. So I picked up a truck much more manly than the one I had. And it goes on top of you. And it tries to sink you. Not the person, but the flesh. This orientation without God. You see, sometimes our work, I have a little worker's glove here. Sometimes our work and our worth tries to sink us in that way. Sometimes other people who are more holy than us try to sink us and try to take us down. And we feel that condemnation. We feel it pile up. Someone else talks about our home and we think of it as our castle or we think of it best that we can, but they think it's less. And so they throw that on and all of a sudden we wonder if we have lack, if we're judged, if all of these things, if nothing that we, we start to medicate in some way. It starts to sink us in that way, or else just, just a wet blanket of doubt and insecurity gets tossed on top of us. And we feel like we're suffocating. And all of this condemnation comes at us, and all of it feels like it piles on top. But you know what's true? You were intended to float, and you still float. All of that's there. But it hasn't changed who you are. And it's not because you are so good at shrugging all this off. That tennis ball didn't do anything except what it's created to do. It just rode on the water. And if you see, it's still floating. Underneath all of this, this can't sink it. It hasn't changed the ball yet. And you and me, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also, though his spirit, uh, through his spirit that dwells in you. Yes, you'll still hear condemning voices, but there is no condemnation. None of that sticks. I'm not making light of the weight of it. I'm not wake, making light of the pressure of it. I'm just letting you know that it is not who you are. I've talked to you before about this idea of what we add our amen to. Amen is this idea of, of let it be so. That's what you're saying every time you say amen. You're saying let it be so. And scripture says that in Christ there is no condemnation. And you can add your amen there. Or when someone says, why don't you change your oil in oil, and you interpret that to mean you are an utter failure, you can add your amen there. Which voices are you agreeing? For a lot of us, this is the work of spiritual discipline. And honest, one of the gifts of this season, not making light of it, is that many of us have more time to do this work. Many of us can distance ourselves from some of these voices can process them and begin to hear the voice of our Father separate from these other voices of condemnation. But we're not done yet. I want to read a couple more verses for you. In verse 14 of this same chapter, it's a rich chapter, Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. And when we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him, 
so that we may also be glorified with him. The spirit is not a spirit of slavery. It's not a spirit that invites you to go back into fear. This spirit that is, is this life where we are centered on God and our orientation in this world is centered on him is not a spirit that we are enslaved to. Instead, it is the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship and daughtership, where we are full heirs to what God has for us. But we need to realize this thing. Some of you know I've been around adoption, myself, other families that I've walked with. And in the way that adoption works, there's a lot of legal work to make sure that everything is taken care of so that adoption is final and it is true and it is the identity of that child. There's a lot of money that changes hands. Often there's a lot of counseling that helps change the identity and do the hard inner work to, to help someone realize who they now are. There's a lot of investment of time, energy, emotions, all of this. But you know what's true? If that child doesn't believe there is a daughter, she's not a daughter. Legally, she is. All of life screams that she is, but if she believes that she is not, that she is just orphaned and left alone, then she is orphaned and left alone. If that son doesn't know that he is a son wanted in this family with a seat at the table, then he doesn't know it. It's, well, it just won't be. And everybody can fight and pull and scream and lay it out and be clear and clear and clear and show years of investment and time and that energy, energy in that area. But unless you know you're a son, well, legally, yeah, you're a son, but in your identity, in your core, you're not till you know it. Spiritually, it's the same. Last week, we talked about the work that was done. Legally, identity, all of that. That was the work that was done. The power that death had on you is gone. Jesus went to the grave and came back. The power that said, I love you to death and back to life. That power is known. It is proclaimed. Now that power lives within you. Screaming that you are a daughter of the God Most High, screaming that you are a son of the God Most High, which voice will you believe? Are you in Christ? What does Paul say is how we know if we're in Christ or not. In this section of scripture, it says, you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness. Two things that I want to say about this before we wrap up. First, Abba Father to us, we don't get it. It sounds like another language and then English. But what it is in Romans is it's two different languages. It's two distinct languages. He's saying Father, Father in two different languages so that everybody knows that they are included. We see this in Romans 1 where he makes sure that everybody in that church knows by the language he's using, hey, I see you for who you are, and you're not excluded by this. And so here again in Romans 8, towards the middle of the chapter, we see where he says, when the spirit within you cries, Abba, Father, that is whatever your language, whatever your heart language. This is for you in the back who don't think this applies to you. 
Let's be really honest. This is for you who think that this is just for the white guy preaching. Or this is for you who think this is just for people who are younger and haven't made the mistakes that I have made. Or this is for the, the people who have more money or the people who don't have all of this pressure weighed on. This is for you who think that you are excluded by something that you have done or something that was done to you. I want you to know that when the Spirit cries within you, whatever language you've got to call God Father, that is not your voice. That's what Paul's saying here. The second thing is that cry within you is not you. That cry within you is the Holy Spirit crying within you. That is evidence that it is Christ in you. So all this, the people who say that your faith is wrong, that your words are wrong, that you can't articulate it right, that you don't share it right, that you haven't acted right, all of that, that's all garbage. If your heart cries, Father, that is the Holy Spirit crying out within you, and there is no condemnation for you. None. It's all those voices who are working like a wet blanket trying to sink you. I want you to know, daughter, you're a daughter. And let them bark, but they can't bite. Son, you're a son. And I know that that aches, and I know that that hurts. And, and Paul even knows that. Paul says here that we will suffer, and some of you are suffering right now. I know what some of you are so weighed down with condemnation. You are suffering. I know that, but suffering is not the end. We see right here that the end is that we're glorified with him. We suffer along with Jesus, and we are glorified along with Jesus because that's what the daughters and sons the king most high do and so I'm not saying that you need to enjoy your suffering I'm just saying we can hold on a little bit in it knowing that this is a time Christ loved you to death not to leave you but back to life so all those voices of condemnation might shrink away and you might know him as good the spirit within you might sing Abba Father some of you might need to process this a little bit there's people who are willing to talk with you there's a prayer line that will happen right after the service join them there you can comment in the, in the feed on Facebook if you're watching this and in its premiere and people would love to walk through this with you there we're here for you but I say let's learn this stuff and let's let this reality settle within us that no longer are we going to be people who listen to the condemnation and take it to our core, but instead we're people who realize that if the power that raised Jesus from the dead is within us, then that's all I need. You want to pray with me? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for faithful, you're good, you're strong, you're powerful, and you are for me. And you are for my friends individually, and you are for us collectively. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would cry within us loud right now as a reminder that, that you live within us. And if you are within us, then we are in Christ, and there is no condemnation that can stick and define
some of you, this might be the first time that you've heard this. For some of you, this might be the first time it made sense. The reality is that's not because of something that I said. That's because of the Spirit at work within you, within me. But if you feel in some language a rumbling within you, calling out to your Father, on this prayer line. People would love to pray with you and begin to show you what it means to listen to that, begin to show you what it means to live by the Spirit where we're oriented, saturated by the love of God. Where we navigate this world well aware of His Spirit crying out for us. Some of you are suffering because of condemnation or circumstances and situations in your that's you, we want to pray with you. We want to help you to see that your reality in Christ is, is more true than anything else that's true in your life. There's a full life that we're invited into, a life of the Spirit. We don't want you to miss out. So comment on Facebook below, join us in the prayer line. If you get into midweek and realize then that's when you want to at 7 o'clock on Wednesdays, we're open to be praying with you as well. Or you can always email at info at comingone.church. We'd love to help you get to know your Father better. Get to know this power of Jesus. Get familiar.